Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Worship Theology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Perigo, and it's my joy to create this space where we can talk to artists, theologians, scholars about theology and our worship. We have Professor David Platter, who helps um, oversee actually all of the visual art you see around campus, and then also is um, teaches in the art department, and then Dr. Justin Bailey, who's um, uh, yeah teaches in the theology department, but particularly teaches a class on theological aesthetics. I really wanted to start with just what initially got you involved in thinking about art and particularly either the the theology of art, Justin, or, or David, the practice of art making. Um, David, why don't you kick us off? What got All you right, yep. initially connected with this idea of art? So I grew up in a um, in a very encouraging home. My family, I think, really supported that. I saw it in my parents. Um, they wanted me to engage making and, and thinking through our beliefs. Uh, my dad was a pastor when I was a kid, and so I thought it was normal for dads to write and prepare speeches. Yeah, right? <laughs> not everybody's um, dad does And to that. think about theology all the time. That's I thought by six years old, I thought, well, that's what people do when they're grown up. Um, but I was really just encouraged. My mom is a seamstress, and she's been sewing since I was a little kid. And I was obsessed with cross-stitch because she did it, and she let me try it as a little kid. And so that kind of thing, it's just, it got me interested. It was know, the encouragement of my family. The yeah. space you were just growing up in, where you have a dad yeah, who's yeah. theologically minded, a mom who's creative, yeah. creating stuff. It was never an option whether or not you bring art into your worship. Mm. It was just, that's what you did. Um, but I think I got it through osmosis, mostly. Yeah. yeah. Justin, what about you? What brought yeah. you to like this idea of theology and the arts? Yeah, I also grew up in a faithful Christian home, but um, I think probably my, my tradition was a bit more suspicious about the arts, more suspicious about the imagination, um, very interested in truth, the truth of scripture, and, um, and yet I sort of also felt attracted from an early age to the arts, to literature especially, um, to poetry, to fantasy, um, and um, after going to college and seminary, I became a pastor, so I became a pastor, and, um, and I was really realizing that I felt like I had a pretty discipled intellect, but I didn't really have a discipled imagination, and that I had been trained to disciple people's intellect, meaning to teach them the right answers, to teach them the right things to say, or right theology, which I still obviously think is really important as a theology professor, but that there's also this component of discipling your imagination. And so that's been, the, a lot of my research as an academic has been oriented around that question of, okay, I think I know what it means to disciple someone's intellect, but what does it mean to disciple the imagination? You know, the way that people see the world, feel the world, sense possibility in the world. And so that's, yeah. I've come at it from more of the, uh, yeah, to use an analogy, if, if you're a bird, I'm an ornithologist. So I study birds. I'm interested in watching birds, but you're actually making, you know, and curating things yeah. in, in ways yeah. that I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you you kind of said, Justin, you've been, suspi- or at least your tradition was suspicious. David, you kind of grew up in, yeah, arts, I would, theology, church, yeah. kind of I would, if Justin together. was suspicious, I was naive. Naive, yeah. I always felt like I didn't know why this was one way or the other mm-hmm. regarding art. Mm-hmm. And so I was super curious, always really curious, but felt naive about the arts, which might lead into your notion about imagination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, What's yeah. one of the worst pieces of Christian art, whether it's literature? Oof. Movies, you can even speak generally in, in terms of genres, music, 
What comes mm. to mind? Mine is the 1980s Christian movies. Oh. The films, they're really poorly made. They're a lot about tribulation in times yeah. to scare literally the hell out of people. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I have an example of a, of of, a of specific... Done, or art done poorly. Yeah, but... In, in a worship context. I, I would say, like, in general, um, I think Christian art is poorly utilized when... Um, when it's used for purposes beyond the service that the artist intended it. And so if it gets kind of misappropriated, mm -hmm. um, which we have a habit of doing, might lead to why I was so naive and confused as a child about art growing up in a, in a you know, conservative Christian community. Um, I think when we misappropriate the arts, that's probably when it bothers me the most and when I would say it's Poorly used. It's an example of that, like I know some artists get really angry when dirt, different politicians use their song at rallies. I, th or, I think that's like certainly an example for other um, other purposes. But I would say even more like just for the visual arts when it becomes overly didactic, and yeah. like it's meant to be seen, yeah. it's meant to be experienced. Yeah. So if you could, if you could put express the art as a PowerPoint with bullet points, then you would have done that. But there's something that <laughs> right. is being communicated that cannot right. be reduced to. You know, like didactic information. Yeah. And I would say that's, yeah. that's what we're talking about in some sense is propaganda, like when art is used as propaganda. Um, and propaganda has sort of one purpose. It's to get you to think one thing, to, to do one thing. And I think one of the things about mm. art right. is it's generative, right? So as one, one, one person has said that propaganda is meant to, uh, to make you move in a particular direction and you know exactly what it is. Whereas uh, art moves you, it creates the space that is generative for all sorts of other things. So there's lots of possibilities that it opens up, whereas propaganda shuts it down. And so I think part of the reason why Christians more recently have failed in creating contemporary Christian music or, or movies is because they've been confused about what they're doing and tried to make propaganda and propaganda draws attention to itself in a way that I are, think you see through it. You know, yeah. thinking of those movements, though, are they, like, often these are evangelical movements trying to communicate the gospel, the gospel yeah. through art, which is a deeply held theological belief <laughs> of that community. Yeah. So is it, is it propaganda, or are they just expressing, yeah, their beliefs? Yes, they are expressing their beliefs, but it can also be propaganda. You know, I mean, I think that obviously there's, we're not, it's not one or the other, but yeah. there's maybe a spectrum of, you know, intensity where you have such a focus on a mess, getting a message out that you begin to not worry about the medium. So the medium becomes, oh, who cares what the medium is? Um, we just want to get this message out. But every message is affected by the medium in which it's portrayed, right? So if I proposed to my wife using a text message, right, versus in person, <laughs> by the way, you know, like that, that has different meaning, right? And so the way that you tell the story is meaning laden. Um, it's not just about put, putting the message in all these different forms because there are certain ways of giving the message that betrays the message or that it makes the message less than, than what it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, I did a European tour, particularly Italy, and looked at a lots of the Renaissance art and this Medici family who helps fund this great movement of artists that are all also now named after the Ninja Turtles, Donatello, <laughs> Michelangelo, Leonardo, all the, like, why is it that 
Catholics have all the good art. I think I was mm. sitting in our English department a couple days ago, and they were asking, name some great reformed visual artists, or name some, and I know, David, you probably can, but <laughs> no, you probably, Justin, you probably can too, but in general, yeah, yeah. yeah, some of the Protestant denominations or expressions of Christianity don't have this artistic tradition. Why, particularly Roman Catholics, have all the good art. Can I go first on this one? Go for <laughs> it, yeah. uh, So I have lots of thoughts on this. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I would say also, as having had the opportunity to go to Rome, I said I found it so appealing and so appalling at the same time. Uh, there's something about it that was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And there's also something about it that as a Protestant, you know, doesn't really fit well with me. Uh, but the first thing I want to say is that Catholic art is our art too, right? Yeah, we are part there of, you go. We are part of that that church. We're part of that stream. We're not Roman Catholic, but we're part of the family of, of Christ. And, you know, until the Reformation of the 16th century, you know, much of the art that you're referring to, that's our art too. It always bothers me when people use the word Christian to say it's, it's less like Christian art is bad. You know, people will say things like that. It's like, um, are you talking about like the sort of, you know, like for, for most of I think history, I said Protestant art yeah, is bad. Right. Yeah, no, but, but Christian art, if you think of Christian art, you, you have to include all of the greats. You know, you have yeah. to include these great artists who are inspired by a particular vision of God. Now, I see, um, yeah, Protestantism is in many ways a correction of some trajectories within the Roman Catholic Church that were problematic. Right? Um, maybe even, we would even say idolatrous. And uh, some people would say it's an overcorrection, <laughs> um, perhaps as a posture towards the visual art, but I think it was a necessary correction. Um, and then you can talk about, well, what does that mean? But first answer, Catholic art is our art. Second answer, it's due to an emphasis that Protestants have had on the word and on words in general and on what is heard over against what is seen uh, or felt, so we struggle with visual art, we struggle with movement, with dance. Um, we are a lot better with poetry, literature, songs, you know, um, because it feels less problematic because it's more auditory than sort of physical. So Protestantism has yeah. tended towards intellectualizing things, whereas Roman Catholicism has tended towards sort of an embodied, um, yeah, engagement with yeah. the world. I would largely agree. Um, I, I loved that you pointed out that, that the Catholic art, why do they have all the good art? Well, it's because they were here longer than the Protestant uh, group yeah. has had to develop that sensibility yeah. and to also develop maybe some of those same fallacies. Mm. Um, so we just haven't had the time as um, carnal beings on this earth to express ourselves in, in those dynamic ways. Um, maybe it'll happen. I don't know. It doesn't look like we're on that trajectory right now, in my opinion. But um, I would I would agree. Catholic art is our art, um, and in the same way, like like I think Orthodox art is our art. Um, Coptic art is our art. Um, it's it's where the church got its got its visual language, and so that is ours. Um, I, I wish we would engage that more deeply and. And I wish we were more receptive to it, but it's also a matter of proximity, um, both in time and space. Like, we haven't grown up around um, the Medicis, right? And so if you do get a chance to go visit um, Florence especially or Rome, um, it, it's pretty meaningful to reflect on what, what the messages and what the aesthetics were doing and the role they were serving. 
but technology moves forward along with the, the Protestant Reformation. And we have a different set of callings today. Uh, and so I think the visual arts in particular, um, they've changed and they don't fit necessarily as squarely with yeah. faith, right? Um, with Christianity, uh, we had a huge rejection of, of humanism uh, and anything that had relation to um, the human indulgence. And we haven't quite corrected that. Uh, and I would say our, our contemporary culture around us hasn't quite come to grips with what that means either. And so we're sort of fumbling right now when it comes to the visual arts uh, in particular. Mm -hmm. um, and we get to fumble through that together, but, but that's where I would say we're at. I love to always push back on my colleague and friend, Justin. <laughs> like within the re reform tradition, I appreciate you saying that it's, it's our art. And I think that's, you know, 500 years past the reformation, it's maybe easier to say that as things have developed right. where, yeah. you know, Calvin is saying instrumental musics for weak souls and declares about images. Even if the use of images is a John Calvin reformer, <laughs> Calvinism, a father of <laughs> the reformed tradition, even if the use of images contain nothing evil, it still has no value for teaching. So like at a reformed institution like Dort, how can we even, knowing that this is one of our, our fathers, how can we even sure. embrace the arts? Why should I even have this conversation? Yeah. So first of all, um, reformed is broader than Calvin. So Calvin is one of the most revered and esteemed voices at our family dinner, uh, <laughs> but he's not the only voice. And um, on some things, he's just wrong. And I think that um, he's not wrong in his context so much because he is making a necessary correction in his instinct that art has a tendency art as practiced many times in the medieval in medieval age did have a tendency towards superstition and idolatry but um i think he is wrong about music being for weak souls um again you have this sense of beautiful psalters that came out of geneva right um he hires frank french court poets that's right in the land yeah. to kind of set these and psalms and so sometimes maybe his practice was different than what he he preached, which is a mercy f for all of us, right? That, you know, you sort of stumble backwards into truth when you don't, you know, walk forward into it. So I'd say that's the first thing. Um, and the Reformed tradition is much broader than um, that iconoclasm. I will say there's sort of different schools of thought on uh, images. Uh, so you have some that would say, well, all that would say, don't use images, don't worship images, right? That's the second commandment, right? So Christians just agree on that. Um, and then there would be some who would say, don't use images in worship um, to, to guide worship. So not don't worship images, but don't even have images in the sanctuary. And then there would be some who would say, don't make images at all, right? Even outside of the sanctuary. And then there are some who would even say, don't even imagine, you know, like uh, God in your mind. Um, and so all of it represents this sort of instinct that Calvinist has against idolatry. Um, and, but I think that it's possible and desirable for us to, as part of our discipleship, to use the things that God has created, as you know, the Psalms say, to use every breath and every instrument um, at our disposal to, to praise the Lord. Mm. It's, yeah, we, we're in a room full of leaders, worship leaders, future and current. How can art help serve a local church? David, how have, yeah, how have you seen that even in your own experience, 
your own work as an artist. Yeah, I mean, I would push back to piggyback on on the the commentary yeah. from Calvin, the notion of weak souls. To me, that just reads as really um, arrogant. And I think I am a weak soul. I am too. <laughs> so then if that's all it's for, then thank God it's here because I'm a weak soul and I need it. Um, so receive it as a grace. Yeah. As a, as a, I, a think it's, I think it's partly general revelation, but I also think it is revelatory to be able to witness spaces and art and, and hear songs and smell smells. And I think these are all ways that we can intuitively uh, or intuitively experience the grace of God. And I think we turn our hearts toward God mm -hmm. through some of these modes. Mm -hmm. And if it can help me as a weak soul redirect, I know it can help others, and I'm certain it has. And so I would say, how could we get it? How could it be useful in the church? How could we yeah. continue? Fill the halls with it, you know? I mean, apply it. Uh, let it be. Now, sometimes that's illustration, and maybe that speaks into how, how messaging and art can get, can get confused. And certainly illustration has moved um, into different direction, and art itself has become more dynamic. The visual arts uh, have become more dynamic. Um, and illustration is no longer the only way to convey messaging, right? To convey ideas and yearnings. And thank God that we have this mode of visual expression um, that doesn't have to have a specific connection to a piece of liturgy or to a, to a scripture. That's where I think maybe the conversation gets to be confused and muddled. If, is this idolatry or not? Well, if it's, if it's not even trying to take the place of what we worship, if it's just trying to help orient us toward it, and if we can see that more clearly because it's no longer a graven image, it's, it's just an expression of paint or of, of stone, um, then yeah, let's fill the halls with it. And if it can turn hearts toward Christ, then I think it's very useful. So I would apply it. That's what I would recommend. I think it's really important to ask, ask the question is what actually is happening. So one of the things that annoys me about theologians in my particular tribe, um, the Reformed theologians, is that they have a tendency to make these pronouncements about what images do to us. And um, images mislead us. You know, they'll say things like that. Um, that's a quote from J.I. Packer. Um, and <laughs> And it's like, okay, images can mislead us, but you're making an empirical claim there. That's something we could actually test, and we could actually interview people and say, like, is this making you, you know, what, what is this actually doing, right? And so I think that asking questions of people who are encountering art and actually seeing what is it actually, how are they responding, what are they making of it, what are they doing with it, is a really important uh, part of, so not merely to to display it and think that we've done our work, but actually to allow it to have a real contribution to the conversation. That it's offering interpretations of scripture. It's offering metaphors for understanding life in God's world. It's offering a, just, in some cases, just the joy of responding of, in worship, right? You know, there's lots of things that we just do for the heaven of it, right? Just because it, it brings joy um, and expresses joy towards our creator. And so I think recognizing I think we have to get out of this sort of single lane that art can, art sends a message. That's the, all that art does is sends a message. And we could think of better ways to do a message than that, right? I, I could just put it in words, right? And art is doing so much more than sending a message. It's actually engaging our imaginations. It's opening up what, what we can imagine, 
what's possible. It's giving us language. It, you know, there, there's so many things that art can capture that words can't really capture, which is why we listen to music and poetry and, and literature. And we say, oh, let me tell you a story, because the story actually engages us in the imagination in ways that just didactic approaches don't. And so I think just recognizing that art is able to move us in all these different directions rather than just say, let's, let's dress up the way we're communicating the message. Is that why some mm -hmm. Protestants and some Reformed theologians are wary of it? Because it can take on mm -hmm. it can meaning, used. carry emotion. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so yeah. I think that in general, if you think about, for example, the heart of Protestant worship versus Catholic worship. So the center of Catholic worship is the altar, the Eucharist, and the center of Protestant worship is the sermon, right? And so think about those two modes of engaging your imagination. Obviously, I'm a Protestant, so I, I love preaching sermons. So, You're you know, good preacher. I, yeah, I like yeah. to preach, you know. So, but think about some of the assumptions that you have there is that you're, you're prioritizing clarity, you're prioritizing intellectual stimulation, um, and whereas there's this sort of mysterious participation in, in the Eucharist, which is why I think you should have both, right? You should have Word sermon table. and in the table, yeah, because you're getting, you're getting both. You're getting the clarifying words of the sermon, and you're getting the participation in, in the symbolic depths of, of communion. But yeah, I think that is what it is, is that you worry that if you only have sort of unfettered imaginative production, undisconnected from God, is going to lead to idolatry. Um, so that's why you have to, it always has to work together. Like the, the two modes of engaging have to work mm -hmm. together. Yeah. David, like, yeah, you're, you're both a visual artist who has work displayed in galleries. You help display our student work here, but then also spend a lot of time creating um, art, visual art within worship settings, or even thinking about the the setup. Is there a, is there a different posture you take if you're if you're placing something in a in a gallery versus if you're placing something in a in a kind of corporate worship space, a sanctuary? Uh, do you do you have a different posture as an artist? Are you are you coming at that in very similar ways? I think we do. I think we certainly have different postures, and I. This is a hard one to really respond to because I'm not sure we fully ought to, mm -hmm. but I think we do. I think we have uh, a consideration for our audience and uh, for the role that the work is going to to serve, mm -hmm. the artwork or the, you know, I think that translates into music really well too. I mean, I don't know, I love, like, we had a metal pour yesterday in sculpture class, and I got to um, introduce my students to, to Striker from the 80s? Stri striper. Striper. Oh, stri striper. Striper. Yeah. yeah. You gotta check out Striper. Yeah. You can Google it right now <laughs> while you're listening. Um, Google yeah. Striper. And that was Seriously. a that was an interesting experience. I don't think I would advocate to have that in chapel. <laughs> sure. Right? Um, <laughs> um, and so it was it actually really helped us work through our through task. And get ready for the what metal we through the to metal. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun, and and that was introduced because of a, a, a student said, "Hey, we should we should do this." I thought, well, that's funny. Um, and so I guess even with the visual art, with music, sure, there's a place for certain types and genres. Um, but more than that, what I think I find myself trying to work through is what are the what are the considerations of our audience. Mm -hmm. um, 
if the audience is coming to worship, I think we should be sensitive to that as makers or as curators or as gallerists or, or as musicians. And um, certainly we're going to be sensitive to if we're coming here to, to give praise to God as a group, how might we do that or how might this help that mm -hmm. process? Mm -hmm. That's different than if I'm going to challenge a student in a gallery on a, on a campus of higher learning yeah. versus if I'm going to open up yeah. a space to the, to the general public in Chicago. Right, like th these are very different venues, and I think the considerations, although they could all be God edifying, are a, it's a different call, um, and I'm meeting somebody at a different level, um, and so I think my job changes a little bit from each place, from each venue. I was thinking yeah. about that because you said music as a musician, like as a, particularly as a saxophonist, I'm more restrained in mm. a, a worship context. I don't know that I should be and again it would d depend on the denomination and yeah. the expectations of like the worship there but like I would a jazz gig I would play 10 times through the through the progression but at church I probably wouldn't play any or maybe <laughs> one sol like one yeah. short little solo and I'm yeah similarly to you I don't know if that's right having that discipline so the but question it, of it ought is, we repress our creative yeah, it definitely um, is a repression of my giftings, yeah. but it's in order to serve yeah. Yeah. the church, the song, what's going on, rather than just yeah. full unveiled. Yeah. As and culturally, Justin calls me Duke Silver. Yeah, from Duke that's Silver. right. Duke from Silver. And Rec. Duke Silver. <laughs> yeah, a, and cultural expectations cut. matter, right? Because it's how we love people, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. By, by paying attention to what's culturally appropriate. And, and again, that doesn't mean that we just get locked into one cultural way of doing things, but we do want to meet people where they are. And there's some people that sort of, you know, how, you know, that God is there, that God has shown up by how loud it is. And there are other churches where you know that God is there by how quiet yeah. it is. Right. And these are sort of culturally inflected attention, attentions to God's presence and, and culture matters. And we both want to be able to appreciate other cultural expressions of worship and sensibilities. I also tend to be more understated in the way that I, I think about worship, um, but there are certainly cultures um, where that sort of virtuosity that we would look at and say, oh, they're drawing all this attention to themselves. And they would look at us and say, they don't even care about God. Yeah. Like they're, they're so repressed, you know? And so I think that there's something to be learned from both sides of, of the divide. Um, but yeah, paying attention to context is one of the ways we love people well. David, you, you kind of asked this question as we were thinking about this conversation a few days ago, like about the idea of sacredness, but then also playfulness. And that plays into oh, those cultural man. expectations. Yeah. Like, are we being ir irreverent when we're more playful as musicians or artists? In, and again, we're talking in, in church or in a corporate yeah. worship setting where we create something or like... Can you help us wrestle through that, like the well, idea of I don't know sacred, if I can help. reverent, yeah. and irreverent? I don't know if I can help, but I'm I'm actually quite quite interested in the in the dialogue here because it's something I I I concern myself with. Um, so this idea of the sacred and the profane, yeah. like this division, and the more I get into my craft as a maker the less I'm interested in the refinement of the materials um, and the artness of the materials, and I'd just rather go find the stuff out there. 
And like, I want to go to the hardware store and make art from that stuff. I want to go to my backyard and find, and it's like all of a sudden, this notion of like what is refined for, set apart for a certain use, um, and I'm speaking more generally here, not, not quite in terms of Christ yet, but um, if we get to that point where we start to recognize like maybe the sacred and the profane are not mm -hmm. separate, mm -hmm. maybe they're one and the same, then I, th I wonder is God actually now moving um, in our lives in a way that, that we, can, we can unify these mm -hmm. two realms and maybe feel less confounded in a space of worship to, oh, I, I dare not express myself mm -hmm. um, for, for fear of showing too much energy and people yeah. drawing attention or it drawing attention to me, right, rather than... Well, I've, I've heard even here at, at Dort as our production arts team, we have amazing visual artists on campus, some of them <laughs> taking classes with you, but as, as they started to utilize more of their gifts in worship, people start, some students, some faculty started to say, oh, it's just too good to worship. It looks too good. It looks too good. And I think for me that broke my heart a little bit knowing that this was the first time some of these students had ever been mm -hmm. able to utilize the craft that they'd spent yeah. years and again it's professors decades to try to explore it again I, recognizing there's values that, yeah. you, that you're talking about and expectations in worship but also these are clearly gifted individuals that are doing it yeah of course because they have skill but also and we're to support worship. To we're going to get it wrong. Worship. Like yeah. we, we will get it wrong. And if we can, I think if we can actually stay humble in that, it gives us more freedom mm. to be f uh, mm. expressive. If we can say, look, I, I'm going to mess this up. Uh, it's not really about me. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm actually kind of new to this. I haven't gotten to do this very much. Um, as a Protestant, we're, un we're, we're unfamiliar with this sort of expression. Um, and so I, I do think if, if we approach it with a humility, and an honesty and maybe a willingness to to do some hard work on the back end of like, oh, maybe that didn't go how it should have gone. Maybe we were self-absorbed or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or it maybe caused, it, it maybe became a stumbling block mm -hmm. that it shouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. And we can learn to mitigate, I think. Um, but I'd like to have that conversation more. Uh, yeah. That's where I'm at on it. Yeah. 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 What makes art good? <laughs> I had to take notes on this. And so I'm curious, I don't yeah. know. Um, I, I've made some notes on it. Yeah, yeah so I um, always go back to generativity. Um, this sense of a good piece of art is something that you can return to again and again and again and again and always get more out of. It has mm -hmm. more to give mm -hmm. than you thought was there. And so for some of us, I mean, this might be a book that you love, right? that you can read again, like Chronicles of Narnia or something like that, that you could read again and again and again. And every single time you read it, you get something out of it. Obviously, scripture is the best example of this, right? That you could read it forever and, and never plumb yeah. its depths. And so a good piece of art is generative in the sense that it uh, you could keep on talking about it, right? There, it becomes a classic in some sense because it, it, it opens up the world in so many different ways. So that's the most important thing, I think, about art is the generativity and then I would just add and this is from Aquinas or my translation of Aquinas uh, three E's excellence elegance and electricity so there's an excellence and you have electricity no that, that's why it's my <laughs> translation yeah 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 I forget what he calls it I think clarity is what he calls it yeah but um so excellence meaning that according to the standards of the craft it, it's excellent the person has 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 done the work Right, and has put in the hours to, 
to offer the best thing that they can do at that at that time. Um, that doesn't mean it's perfect, right? Doesn't mean that it has no problems, but I mean that's part of it, right? So it's the excellence, and elegance is the relationship of the part to the whole. It's you know not having just you know too much of one thing. Um, yeah, if everything is at a hundred and ten percent, then like nothing is, you know. And so it's knowing like, yeah, um, there's a simplicity to it, I think. Um, and then the last thing is electricity, which is the hardest thing to kind of say what it is. I mean, because it like you either feel it or you don't, right? It either like you it zaps you or it doesn't. It may not always zap you, but there's something there that it's it's you're getting some of reality. Reality is being impressed on you, right? It's acting on you. Um, you know, the famous Rilke poem, you must change your life, right? That there's something that like it's it it you have this reaction to it, right? So I would say that those are the, the things that I look for. That's awesome because my notes have something similar. So I, it's good that we get to yeah. harmonize here. Um, but I, I had three and mine are context and a magical mix of um, what I call discovery, which I think would be the electricity um, and the mastery, which would be the, the excellence. And, and I really do, like I see it in that term of context, um, mastery and discovery this is both for me this is both as a maker but also as a beholder like what do you need to come to an, ex an art experience with I would say with an expectation um, that the context is appropriate that the the mastery is present you know um, the technical skill has been developed and then that the sense of discovery or this electric experience can happen but it's to me it's not like categorical um, as much as like you need those three for the synergy. Um, and that's what makes the good art, I think, is that synergy, the balance. Yeah. So like this idea of elegance, I think is really important. Um, even if it's Baroque and complicated, yeah, right. um, yeah. it still needs to have this incredible elegance mm -hmm. to it, this balance going on. So I would, I would really echo most of what you said. What, you know? what makes it Christian then? Or what, what would make art? We have pieces of art, even in this room, all over campus. I, I, that's difficult for me. I, I, I question, like, do you mean illustration? Or like, do you need it to, to tell a story, to have a message? Um, and if it has to have that to be Christian, then I would categorize it as, well, you're, you're labeling art to a certain thing. And in my world, that would be illustration. Yeah. So certain, you, using that term, you're labeling in a certain yeah, genre. Yeah, I think you're reducing the, the realm of art that could be mm -hmm. good yeah. um, to something specific. Yeah. So what makes it Christian, I think, is, is dynamic. But it goes from, for me, it goes back to that context, mm -hmm. that mastery, and the, the magic part, you know, the, you know the, the electricity, if you will. That's what's going to help make it Christian. Yeah, I don't like the Christian as an adjective applied to art at all. Um, <laughs> I prefer to speak about there's a Christian source of imagination. So if you sort of think of what's flowing into this piece, that that faith yeah. is one of the, maybe the most important source of the creativity that's flowing into this. And, um, and so I th sort of think in terms of a, a Christian source or Christ-haunted imagination. Um, you know, sometimes you have artists who are not Christian at all, and yet the work that they do is what I would call Christ-haunted, like it's haunted by holiness or haunted by transcendence. Um, and 
and so in that sense, like it might actually pull me, like Mark Rothko might actually pull me towards Christ um, in a particular way um, that Thomas Kincaid doesn't, <laughs> um, right. for to use two examples. Um, and so then I, th- I think that uh, there's also a way maybe as a theologian I would approach this and say that it's art that resonates with the true story of the world that we're given in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't require a Christian to make it, right? Um, and so you could have any art that is made from the pure joy and gratitude of being alive is Christian art in that sense because there is a giver who is giving that, right? And so that resonates with the, the fact that beauty, not brutality, is the deepest reality, that love is deeper than despair, you know, that sort of thing. And so um, I think also anything on those sorts of themes of dignity and human experience that resonates with a story that we're given in scripture. Um, and then you have obviously things that are getting more at the heart of, you know, why is there suffering? You know, things like that. Like that's also something that's asking the pages. So there's there's lots of art that is made by Christian or non-Christian that resonates with the true story of the world that we're given in Scripture. And so that was what I would say is that um, as a theologian, I'm able to see resonance with that story outside the walls of the church. Even is it helpful sometimes though for that art to also be bringing focus or highlighting the brokenness too in a sense you used words like joy and pointed to yeah. that but also yeah music visual art imagery in particular that yeah. can highlight the brokenness of the world That's is that right. also a yeah. a christian idea for sure yeah i mean most of the psalm there are more lament psalms than praise psalms so for example yeah. you know, so that resonates yeah. with that sense i i think what i was trying to get out with that is to me, at the heart of the creative impulse is hope. There, there has to be some sort of hope at the heart of creating, because if you didn't have some hope that this makes a difference or that this is going to be therapeutic or this is going to help me cope in some way, you wouldn't make it, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that the creative impulse is rooted, even the struggle that you might see in something like Picasso's Guernica, I think is rooted in a deeper creativity that assumes that joy is at the heart of the world, which is why we struggle so much when we're not mm-hmm. feeling it. It highlights the groaning because things the groaning, aren't, yeah, aren't, the groaning. aren't yeah. as they should be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. As, as you think about, like, again, art used in corporate worship, what, what at, both as a theologian, as an artist, what would you encourage artists, worship leaders to be aware of as they're thinking of maybe we want to engage more with original music or visual arts or think differently about our, our worship space. What are, what are things that you'd say, I want, I want these students or these leaders to be more aware of in the way they engage with the arts? Well, I'd be curious to hear if there's a, a good reason for this not to occur. Um, but it, in my view, we suffer from a really boring reality in the way we shape our churches physically. Uh, I mean. Look at this room. The ceiling is too low for this space. Like, it doesn't feel right. And we're not even, like, we're not really even encouraged to discuss that, right? Like, so we suffer from, like, a boring world that we're living in and we're creating. Um, And I would encourage us to say, actually, it matters the way we create spaces for worship. Um, Certainly, we can worship together anywhere. Um, but if we're going to put our efforts to create a space, let's do it with honor, right? Let's do it with uh, uh, an intention that edifies the space 
and the use of that space. And so I would, you know, I would advocate for consideration, mm-hmm. uh, resource, mm-hmm. like put the resources in. Um, and, and it's really, it's, that's a, that's a collective sense of worship as well, right? Like, um, we don't have to have the answer for everything. And so growing up, um, heavily influenced by music in the church and hearing that that is the worship arts and feeling like that must be for my sister and for my brothers because they're the musicians yeah. and where's the, where's the space for worship arts if I'm making visual work, yeah. right? Um, I would say we just need to work together and, and do that as a fellowship of believers and a fellowship of, of makers and Christian artists um, or artists that happen to be Christian, however you want to say that. Um, I think we should endeavor together um, to make our spaces uh, filled uh, for the glory of God, but so that we can turn our hearts to God. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think the larger point behind that is taking beauty seriously, mm-hmm. that it matters. Um, so we judge beauty by goodness and goodness by truth, but we are led into truth by goodness and into goodness by beauty. So we might really care about truth, but the way that truth attaches itself to our hearts is through beauty. And, um, and beauty, I'm using this a pretty wide term here in terms of what, what the arts can do for us or um, what the imaginative can do for us. And so I'd say that those sorts of conversations is, is what you're trying to do is you're, you're, yeah. you're giving not just, um, so yeah, Mako Fujimura in his book, Culture Care, talks about material capital, social capital, and creative capital. So creative capital means you have an artist or artists, right, in your midst. Um, social capital means that you have connections, platform, the ability to, you know, um, spread what they're doing, right? To support what they're doing through relational connections. And then material capital means you have space and funding for people to do the work that they feel called to do. And I've often thought, you know, in the same way that we support missionaries, the church at one time has also had patronage of artists, right? That have felt that artists are doing really important work um, in nurturing Christian imagination, and we also need to, to support them materially, financially, uh, in terms of the spaces that we give them to work in, um, and fun- buying their work, um, taking it seriously, and then that would also mean learning from artists, rather than just thinking, oh, okay, I think I know how to do this, because if, <laughs> yeah, artists have really thought about this a lot, and, um, you know, if you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take beauty seriously, you know, then you might make some mistakes that artists could have stopped you from making. I love those thoughts. Yeah. I'd love, yeah, if you'd both give maybe a, an encouragement or a challenge to both anyone listening to this, but also us in the room around this idea of worship arts or worship in the arts. What, what's one, one thing you'd want to leave us with or challenge us to yeah. consider? I think what I would, I would challenge you guys um, not to burden you, but to encourage you that you are, you are the leaders and, and you will be. And had it not been for the role of my father and mother in encouraging me, but also like I think of my chaplain in college, um, he put me on, he put me in front of everybody to paint, right? Like I'd never thought of that as an option until he did that, right? And so you guys have incredible agency and you will um, if you if you open up to what could be and you'll help like Justin just mentioned helping um, artists helping you think through what beauty could be 
But if you help artists think through what their service could be, um, that would be really powerful, I think. Yeah, I think maybe to finish where I started and to say, asking the question, what does it mean to disciple imaginations? And what, what would be required to shape not just what people think about God, but the way that they imagine themselves in relationship to God, the way they imagine themselves in relationship to others, the way they imagine themselves in relationship to the wider world. Um, yeah, everything we do is shaping people's imaginations, but the question is, is it taking great things and making them small, or is it taking small things and showing how great they are, mm -hmm. you know, how important they are? Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. Fun. Thanks so much for joining us on the Worship Theology Podcast, a space where we're bridging faith and ministry praxis. Special thanks to the Dort students involved with this podcast. 